good afternoon ladies and gentlemen welcome to the platform i'm your host ethios we also got to my left we got your boy royalty and on my right we got blue blue that's it just blue you know <laughs> yo welcome blue welcome blue welcome to the platform I'm glad to have you here thank you for having me cool so uh the purpose of this podcast is basically to be able to give our listeners a uh an entrepreneurs that opportunity to put their put their stories out there to give information about what it is that they have accomplished in their lifetime uh we come to find out when in our community especially african-american community that we have all these different venues, these different uh, ways of reaching out to people, but it doesn't happen. So this is that connection. This is that hub where we can bring everyone together and connect with each other on a, on that level to get your business or, or your education uh, education up and all that other fun stuff. But right now we have uh, Miss Blue here. She's going to uh, tell us about herself, a little bit about herself, just like um, your profession and how long have you been in that profession? I am a licensed clinical social worker. My specialty is mental health. I am also a licensed clinical addiction specialist. I normally work with military families and personnel. I have experience in inpatient treatment as well as outpatient treatment and behavioral health. This subject right here should connect with a lot of people, especially like in, uh, because of the mental health aspects is uh, when it comes to uh, substance abuse, uh, mental health issues, the one thing that uh, the world, well, I, w- I, w- I don't mind saying America in itself, but we don't really grab into that mental health world. Like we think it's uh, almost like a, I, don't wanna, I hate to say use the word taboo, but would you say that's true or is there uh, a stigma behind the mental health? Yes. And I think a lot of it is just a lot of the misconceptions that are surrounding mental health. And then, of course, you also have the issue of how media also plays a part in that. So up until probably like the past 60 years or so, how we looked at mental health was very different. A lot of things that we consider mental illness are no longer considered mental illness, things like addiction. Whereas before we looked at them more along the lines of moral shortcomings, we start to see now, uh, when we take a look at the disease model, the basically the other aspects that play into these things and how they work. Mm-hmm. Something I wanted to like talk about was um when it comes in your profession, what races do you think come more to you? Like, like what ethnic groups come more to you as far as seeking mental health and stuff like that? Caucasian people. The whites. The whites. Those who descend from the Caucasus Mountains. The Caucasus Mountains. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, but they do come see me more often simply because I feel that it's just more acceptable um, in their community versus the way mental health is viewed in most minority communities. It's just different. So with the minority, with the minority, they really don't come to the mental health. Like, why is that? Why is the people of uh, the brown complexion, I guess? How come they don't really go into like For um, a lot of um, African-Americans, and you know, honestly, even a lot of Hispanic people, they don't view mental illness as a real thing. You know, okay. many times we time we have the tendency to equate mental illness with spiritual problems or Ooh. issues. We turn to the church, you pray on it, get that demon off of you, things like that. Ooh. You know, we even look at addiction in the same way. When in all honesty, we probably have more reason to go into therapy because of a lot of the issues that we don't delve in and we don't get treatment for that occur within our households, you know, within our lives. We 
pride as a people we have the tendency to pride ourselves on resiliency and that's something that can be a positive and a negative because we look at it as though those types of things aren't the types of things that break us but they break others you know i mean mm-hmm. to be blunt we look at it's like okay that's what white folks do Mm, okay. That's their problem. We don't we don't do that. We don't have nervous breakdowns. That's just something black people don't do. You know what's crazy though? <laughs> what, you, what you hear people all the time, like uh, I remember growing up, like you uh, always had that one uh, kinfolk that was in the corner, like, oh no, you don't have to deal with her. She's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, or or she has a problem. Something's wrong. But they don't never do anything to try to help. They just yeah. that child just continues to grow. Yeah. You know? And I mean, for a lot of us, is the way we're raised. We grow up in dysfunction. Mm. And we just think that that's okay. That's the norm. You know, you know, you grew up in dysfunction. You talk to your friends. They're growing up in dysfunction. I mean, it's just the way it is. And we think that's the norm. So to us, those are not things that you go and seek help for. I mean, we all got like an aunt or an uncle or somebody who we grew up with who was on drugs. Like, you know, someone's so on crack. You know, <laughs> or something like that. Mm-hmm. Nobody went to rehab. Right, right. You just true. did crack until you left everything, until you lost everything and you had nothing left and then you decided to get it together or you just stayed on crack to the day you died right and that was that and everybody just knew it nobody said hey maybe you should go get some help maybe you should go to rehab maybe we should put our money together and do this da, 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 da. it's one of those things where you know you look at white families like man we need to get you to rehab and black folks be like we're gonna pray about it okay. black go be like we're gonna church. pray about it and when you come yeah. through we're gonna hide all the good <laughs> you know we're gonna hide your money hide your kids you know all that stuff because y'all taking everything it's like and that's just the way it is right, unfortunately right. with that being said do you think uh mental health is is it swinging towards that like everyone now is aware of mental health like we need to start being seen by uh psychiatrists or uh professional yes i think it is with the younger generation because they're more open to therapy and things like that or just honestly just keeping up with their health Okay. In general, it doesn't matter if it's their behavioral health or physical health, you know, which is a good thing. So they're more open to coming out and, you know, going to therapy. And I also think that a lot of the newer generations also are not as religious mm. okay. as previous generations. So to them, the answer isn't always to pray or they'll be like, okay, I believe and I'm going to pray about it. But I'm also gonna go to the therapist. I'm also gonna see the doctor. Right, I'm right. also gonna take my medications. You know right, right. that type of thing. And they're also a little more trusting of the medical community than some of the older generations, which you know for good reason had reason not to trust the medical community. So I think a lot of those factors play into it. Why um, African Americans are starting to go out and get more treatment as well as you know you look at statistics you know mental illness is rampant in our community right you know and I mean we are at a higher risk for suicide and mental illness right true you know and there's also the possibility that especially as we become more educated and I say particularly African American women just you know the fact that this is beneficial or that this is something that's acceptable is becoming more acceptable 
you know, black men have to work on them a little bit more. But <laughs> black, you know, it's like we we were getting there. You know, we're getting I, there. I had seen a psychiatrist once. You know, and like uh, I don't know what we had talked about a lot of different things. And it was like a um, it was a awakening for me. But I only went there one time. You know, but I only went there one time. You know, <laughs> and like uh, I remember going, and I was it was more talking instead of like it was more like it seemed like I was just listening to myself instead of hearing them talk to me about something mm-hmm. that's the way I looked at it and like I had talked I had talked down about psychiatry for a long time I was like no ain't no point it was it was my pride because growing up it was just like oh you're sad about this just you'll be okay just give it time you know what I'm saying? or if you were depressed about this you know what I'm saying it'll pass it'll pass you know we pray about it mm-hmm. you know so for me going to mental health for for me when I'm going to to talk to someone it was like it was rough it was hard I didn't want to say anything and it was crazy. I was getting mad at the uh, at the professor because they weren't saying nothing to me. And I'm just like, don't you supposed to kick this off? They were just like, no, I talk when you talk. I'm like, is that how that works? <laughs> like, I was re- I was really upset about it. But by the time um, at the end of the session, I felt like I don't know. It felt like it was like this burden that was off my shoulder. Like I had all this. Uh, I felt like this responsibility on my shoulder that I just didn't have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh. I don't, it's not my fault. I'm like, no, it's not your fault at all. You know what I'm saying? Because they was like, uh, I remember the one thing uh, she had told me, she said like, if they gave that, um, you know how they say, if the woman's not happy, you know what I'm saying, no one's happy. And they told, and uh, she had told me, said, well, if the woman is happy, I mean, someone is sad. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you're the one that's living in this sad, dark place. And they were just like, I'm like, wow, I am sad. I am depressed. You know what I mean? Like, and like that was for me that was like a really big awakening for me but I ain't been since because you know I think it's a pride thing I'm just like alright with that one time I'm like I agree with the um, the whole pride thing because I know with me at least um, the big issue I have with like therapy for some reason is that when I look in the mirror and I go over like I analyze all my problems everything that's wrong with my life give me issues or putting me in that state of depression I kind of ask myself I'm like what answer can someone else come up with about my life that I can't find in myself? So it's kind of like that pride thing that I just look at it as there shouldn't be no way someone could come up with a solution to my problems. Like that's that's my problem with it. And I understand like like going along with what he's saying, sometimes it just takes that one person to just tell you, hey, it's not your fault, you know? Like it just takes that person that's been through the city through some kind of experience that you haven't yet to just let you know hey this could be a better outcome or hey you're going on the wrong path and I didn't realize that like for a lot of a lot of the portion that you're going on so well one thing I want to say first before I spill those up I think there's just a big misconception about what exactly therapy is okay yes you please know. explain <laughs> um, I tell my clients when they sit down and talk to me I don't give advice it's not my job. Okay. For me to give you advice is unethical. Really? I cannot tell you what you should and should not do. See, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. Whatever choice or decision you come to the conclusion to make, it has to be one that you've made for yourself. I can teach you what you need to consider and things to think about to make better choices 
and decisions. I can provide an alternative way to look at things. I can be a sounding board for you. I can provide you with, you know, techniques to deal with certain things like coping, deep breathing, things along the lines of that. But at the end of the day, when you leave my office, let's say you come to me and you say you have a particular problem, I'm not gonna tell you you need to do this, you need to do this. What I will do, I can say, you know, let's look at your options. Okay. Let's weigh the pros and cons, the consequences. What do you think is best for you? What do you think isn't best for you? And then whatever decision or choice you choose to make when you leave my office, whether it be good or bad, when you come back, I'm there to help you deal with the consequences. You know, always. Oh, that hit, man. That hit. You know, and it's always going to be non-biased. You know, I'm not going to take your side when you're clearly wrong. You know, it's it's a way to help you learn to make better choices and decisions. Because at at the end of the day, if you're coming to see me, that means you're not doing it very well. (laughs) Ouch. That hurts. If you're suffering from depression or anxiety or even something as serious as schizophrenia, what it all boils down to is the inability to cope. Whether you're struggling with it on your own or your mind has decided to engage in escapism, you know, then we have like hallucinations and delusions and things like that. But that's what it all boils down to. So you're coming to me because you've gotten to a point where you can't do it yourself. So you want outside help. And that's what I provide. But I'm never going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. You know? You come to me and say, hey, I'm thinking about cheating on my wife. My response would be, well, why would you want to do that? Because of this, this, and that. Okay. Well, let's take a look at that. You know? What are the pros? What are the cons? Is it worth the risk? What does this other person have to offer? Is there a better way to do it? And if you say, well, you know what? After we sit there and we discuss all those things, even if in my mind I'm thinking, why Why the hell are you doing this? This is stupid. The dumbest choice you could possibly make. I will say the decision is yours. Because you have to remain biased. And when you go out there and you cheat and she put you out and <laughs> tell your chain of command mm-hmm. and run you through the dirt, when you come back and you're depressed, I'm going to help you deal with that. But you can't say you told me to do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Damn, that's true. Because a big part of, you know, being able to make better choices and decisions is taking ownership mm-hmm. of your piss poor decisions as well. <laughs> You get, you messed up. Now, what can we do to fix this situation? And that's pretty much, you know, what it is. So I always tell people that because when people come to me, sometimes they say, well, why can't you just tell me? It's like, I can't tell you what to do. It has to be your choice and your decision because my job is to help you make better choices and decisions, not tell you what choices and decisions to make. Because if I tell you that, then what are you learning? Okay. I got it, I got it. So we talked about more races coming in more, and you said Caucasian. Mm -hmm. So what would you say? The whites. What would you say? The Caucasus. The Caucasus. The Caucasus. The The colonizers. um, (laughs) The colonizers. (laughs) Would you say suffers more from depression? 
all the races. So not necessarily the people that come to you for help, but who would you say suffers more from it? Uh, I think black people. You think so? Why? Because we have the tendency to think that dysfunction is okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas in most white families and environments, they have the tendency to see dysfunction for dysfunction. You know? Okay. I mean, when you sit back and think about how you were raised, your interaction with your parents and your family, and it's crazy because you go out there into the world and you may have a white friend and you think about their interaction and how they do things, and it's like, wow. It's a little different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very different. different. Yeah. It's always like, like it is, you know? It's crazy, you know? I grew up thinking that, you know, if, if somebody beat you with a belt, a shoe, a flip-flop, extension cord, slapped you, you know, <laughs> did all this stuff, that's okay. Everybody got a crackhead uncle or aunt. Right. That's just life. Yeah, I thought everybody got beat with a shoe. <laughs> or even when you look down deeper into it, you know, it's crazy because you look at certain situations like, a big thing at the moment we talk about abuse mm-hmm. particularly like sexual abuse mm-hmm. it's like who doesn't know a cousin or a family member or even if it's themselves that wasn't molested who who told the police damn damn who reported it nobody or did we sweep it under the rug or tell the pastor and he prayed on it and then we'll send that same child back into that same environment with a prayer to protect them when you start thinking about things like that and just the things that we go through, it's you can see why mental illness is so big in our community. Think about how many young women you see out there and their, you know, their man leaves them and they out here busting out windows, you know. They made a song about it. Killing their kids, fighting in the streets. Right. It's like, why black people so angry? Mm-hmm. It kind of brings me back to like, um, I think it was Zoe Williams who said, black people as a whole have PTSD. God damn. Stemming back from slavery to today because it's like we're still dealing with flashbacks, avoiding stimuli, you know, engaging in these things based off of how we've always lived here. So we have these problems, but we've just gotten to the point where we just think that's just how it is and it's okay. And we just, you know, we just leave it at that. And then we have the tendency to want to handle things within the family, within the community, even when we come to the realization that we can't do it. We can't handle it. We don't know what we're doing here, but we'll do it anyway. Because nobody wants to bring them white folks in your house. (laughs) That's <laughs> how it is. Don't you bring them mm-hmm. white folks up in here. Mm-hmm. And that's how we look at it. It's never a matter of getting help or what can we do to actually fix this problem. It's what can we do to where we don't have to think about or talk about this anymore. And that's just something that breeds mental illness because we don't cope with things. We act like they don't happen. And then we kind of like just move forward from there. Or we start engaging in, you know, addiction and acting out and all those things. I mean, when you really sit down and think about it, how many of your friends and family members do you seriously think have an undiagnosed mental illness? Yeah, I can th- I can think of three or four. Three or four just popped in my head right now. And, you know, 
I've been in therapy. I've been getting psychiatric care for 13 years. When I sit and I look at my family, even as a clinician now, you know, we do have a lot of addiction and we have a lot of depression. We have a lot of anxiety, but I also feel, even as a professional, I look at people, you can't tell me we ain't got bipolar disorder. We ain't got personality disorders running rampant in my family because I see the same qualities in these people that I see in my patients that I'm diagnosing and, you know, sending and referring for med management. The only difference is ain't nobody ever gonna tell them to get treatment. We just gonna say that's the way they are and continue to allow them to be miserable and make people around them miserable. Or we just kind of had a tendency to cut that person off and have them by themselves, which doesn't do anything for them, but it gives us the ability to not be able to think about it or deal with it. We all got that family member that does like the most and we just be like, all right, nobody gonna fuck with them. You know, yeah, exactly. my language. No, you know, I got you. But I got you. nobody else says, we don't, maybe we should like, you know, maybe like, you know, find like a a therapist or a psychiatrist. Maybe they need to go Give talk somebody to somebody. To maybe some, yeah, to talk maybe to something's them. going on here, you know? And they'll tell you what the problem is. So-and-so molested me when I was a child and so-and-so beat me and this happened and this happened and this happened and we're like, get over it. It happened to so-and-so too. Yeah, it becomes a, it becomes a gossip. Like, in, you can hear them like, I, I can... You can hear it sometimes, like, oh, you know, she was assaulted and she was like 10 years old, 11 years old, and she ain't been right since. Like, so, but it, like you said, though, it never really, a light bulb never comes on. Like, who is this person? We know who it is. Why we're not reporting that yeah. person? Why we're not listening to the victim? It's like white kids get assaulted or molested. And of course, you have instances where people ain't gonna do nothing. But for the majority of the time, it's like they do it, they report it, the parent reports it, the person is arrested, they're taken to jail, da 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 da. They go to therapy, all this other stuff. Black kids get molested by their uncle, the blah blah blah, someone that comes they to the family. They pray over them or tell them not to say it. And and they gotta sit there and look at their look in the face of their molester or abuser on a daily basis, and they have to act like it yeah. never happened. Everything or is it's okay. not a problem. And how can you not expect them to grow up and have bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, or PTSD? God damn. So and these are just things that I'm, I can I can just talk about these things in my family alone, you know. Right. But even when you sit down and you have a conversation, it's like, well, what what black person you know ain't got this stuff going on in their family? Those things that we just don't talk about. Mm. Everybody knows it, but we just not gonna discuss it. All right, you know. Say that's that's their family. That's what they, we leave it. It's, it's right here. We will take yeah. care of it right here. It's like we gonna take care of it. We ain't gonna call the police. We ain't gonna take you to therapy. We're not gonna call DHS. We gonna pray on it. We gonna tell this person to stay away, which they may or may not do. But even if they do, they don't. We ain't gonna do nothing about it. All right. And we are gonna leave it at that. What do you think is the key to like helping um you know our black community out and seeking you know some of the help that we need? What do you think we need to do as a community to come together and really, you know, being more acceptable to the whole therapy or just anything in general? For, for me, I think the one thing you said was like how it's being challenged now. Like people are challenging, especially like with religion. You're like people, young people are like not as acceptable. Well, they accept the religion, but they were like, oh, I'm still going to go, you know, because like this generation, it's like they have more access to it. Okay. They're willing to accept mental health could be uh, 
is a great possibility. possibility that's going on in my life. So I really, I really feel like that cycle is going to be broken, like with with the next up and coming generation as as it keeps going. But unless we keep doing what we what we're used to doing, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't let the past be the norm. You have to reset and be like, hey, this is what's going on. Let's go ahead and report it. Let's go ahead and get some help. And because it's like, this is the, I think this is like the first generation that's actually accepting mental health. Because no one really, it never has been an acceptable thing, you know? It's like, oh, you got a mental problem. I can think about going, I can still think about going to school. We have to, we'll make, they have the little, we should call it a little short bus. You know what I'm saying? But you know who came out of there? Caucasian kids. Because they knew it was something going on. The parents like, we know there's something going on. This is where my kid needs to be. They would go. The black kids, like, no, they roll with us. You know what I'm saying? Instead of getting bullied, instead of being told that they're this and that, this and that. So that cycle just continued on. I mean, like, God damn, man, I'm starting. I don't know about this conversation. This thing. It's like, it's just making me more aware of, like, just growing up and, like, being, like, how I've seen things. And I just never really... I mean, it, and it is different. I think that our society as a whole is just starting to become a little more open to mental health as we try to like break down the stigma, try to view it in a more favorable light. But it kind of also goes back to when we discussed, you know, another issue with black people is we don't trust the medical community. Hmm. Yeah, you were telling me a book about... Particularly the older generation because of the things that they experienced. Right. You know, dealing with the medical, you know, community. I mean, even you can look at the Tuskegee experiments, you know, or like we had discussed the father of modern gynecology who, mm-hmm. you know, his techniques are still being used today, but those same techniques were perfected on his slaves with no anesthesia, just held down and doped up with cocaine by the slaves. The stealing of cadavers right off the hospital beds or out of, you know, cemeteries. And these are the things that previous generations of African-Americans had to deal with. And that's why they don't trust doctors. And what was the name of that book, Dad? The book is called Medical Apartheid, A History of medical experimentation on black americans from colonial times to present now, if you guys are hearing this like definitely go out and get this book uh it's going to be a book i'm definitely going to get with i'm going to get it probably tomorrow or yeah. this weekend definitely mm-hmm. i mean I, if you're a you know an african-american clinician or medical provider even if you're somebody who's not but you treat a lot of them you know it might be an interesting read for you to kind of see why i mean and even now when you look into politics you know or the things that are in current literature african-american women have a higher death and infant mortality rate than caucasian women and when they looked into it one of the reasons why is because when we go to the doctor nobody listens to us when we say this is the problem and I think you should look into it, they say, no, 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 that's not the issue. This is the issue. Or, you know what? Okay, well, but as your doctor, I feel this is the issue. So they're not even listening to the patients. Nobody listens to us. No, no, no. The African-American patients. Okay, okay, okay. A majority of them are not being listened to. That's why we have the higher you know, infant mortality rate. That's why more African-American women are dying in childbirth than Caucasian women, you know? That on top of the fact that when we go for our prenatal care, it's a little bit different. 
I think it was Elizabeth Warren working on legislation mm-hmm. and programs to provide incentive to hospitals to reduce the mortality of African-American women and infants, uh, providing incentive and bonus to do so. And it's sad because it's almost like you have to provide incentive for a certain group of people just to be heard so they can live or get the same health care that anybody else does so that they can have healthy babies too, you know? And things like that just contribute to us saying things like, I'm not gonna go sit on no white person's couch and tell them my problems, you know? It all cycles back. And then of course, it's also difficult because many times, and I know in my career, we'll come in and we'll say, I want a black therapist, I want a black psychiatrist, and there's simply not a lot of us. You know, and I have the issue myself. I can't see everybody that's black. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'd love to, but I can't see you. But you want to go and you want to talk to somebody who looks like you and somebody who understands your experience. You know, if you're somebody who's dealt with racism or exclusion or rejection because of those types of things. You want somebody with that same background. I talk to a lot of African-American people and they're like, well, you know, yeah, I'm coming to get help, but you know, I don't want nobody, you know, we don't believe in stuff like this. It's like, I know we don't, <laughs> but I'm understanding of that, you know, or well, you know, so-and-so said this to me and it set me off. And it's like, well, maybe a Caucasian therapist wouldn't understand that, but me as an African-American, mm-hmm. I can say that would have pissed me off too. Right. It is just you, they don't know the experience. It is hard because there's simply not a lot of us, especially males. And that becomes an issue. And there's nothing wrong with male psychiatrists, but all they really do is prescribe the medications. Mm. You know, they're not really teaching you anything or listening to you or anything like that. You know, and so I tell people, you want to, you know, help. It's like, when you go out there, you making your career and stuff, just take it into consideration. We need more black health providers, especially behavioral health and mental health providers, because we have to be there for each other. Right. And we have to be there to show each other it's okay to take this step or to go in this direction. You know, I got you because we trust each other. We don't trust other people, right? So you want to see somebody that looks like you when you walk into that office, so that you can feel comfortable and you feel like your point's gonna get across and you feel like you'll be understood. I, I didn't even think about it because I know, like, uh, my counselor, she was a black, she was a black female. I don't know. I just felt more comfortable the fact that it was a black person over there. You know, I don't know if that's weird, but I just. I just felt that way. You know, I, just, I opened the door to, because they told me, I'm like, oh, I, I can't remember her name. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, okay, let me go talk to this Caucasian about my issues. And I walked in the black, it was a black woman. I'm like, oh, this might not be that bad. <laughs> you know, and I just, you know, we sat there and just like for a minute, like I said, we just sat there and all of a sudden I just, just started. And I, um, and I like the fact that where I work, we have black people working at the front desk scheduling appointments because when certain people come in off bat, they already know who to send them to. Mm. And it doesn't mean that every black person comes to me, but they'll look like and be like, mm, yeah, know you know what? You <laughs> they need to go to this person. They need to go to that I know, person. I know who you need to talk you know? to. And some of them come in straight up and they be like, can I see somebody black? 
Really? You know? Yeah. That's beautiful. I've had, <laughs> I've had Yo, people get switched from one person's caseload to another. You know, even when I got there, people will see me in the hallways and be like, I want to switch. Oh, you got some, a black female there now? You know, and we just lost our other black clinician. Oh. So now it's just me. So I took on a substantial amount of his caseload <laughs> because he knew who needed to come see me versus just going to somebody else. He was like, oh, I got some people that I want to do a warm handoff. Gotcha. To you. We're going to sit down. We're going to discuss them. I'm going to pass them off to you because you're better suited to take care of whatever their issue is. I like that. 